Um, isn't it going to be nice um, when when all of when all of this is is over? Um, how many times have you thought that to yourself? Won't it be nice when all of this is over? Uh, and maybe maybe you have actually uh, realized the need to actually clarify what this means. When I say this, I would imagine something comes to mind for you. What is it? What exactly is this in your mind? Because this year. Um, has been such a, a mess and it indicates how messy it's been when we actually need to clarify what this is that we're looking forward to being past and done with. Um, the, the mess is, I guess maybe you could say it's so messy today that uh, for us it's getting more and more difficult to imagine what it looks like on the other end of it, on the other side of it, or if we're ever going to be able to envision um, getting ourselves out of this current mess that we're in. Um, and so as we look ahead to this mess and look back and reflect on it, I think we're realizing it's taking its toll on us. A number of people over the last couple of weeks have, have taken the time to express that. And they've been, they've been doing pretty well, I would say, through most of this. But now it's finally taking its toll. And I think I know why. It's because we are all sick and tired of hearing about this year and its challenges and its hardships and all of that. But we can't stop hearing about it because the fact is that somehow or another it impacts or affects us each and every day. So just when we're sick about hearing more news or more headlines, there's something in our life that is directly impacted by how this year has gone. And so even if we wanted to, we can't get away from it. Morning, James. Um, but the, the fact is that um, we, we make a decision uh, and, and then we're, we're kind of at peace with that decision and then we find some information or, or discover somebody else handled it in a different way and so we are mentally exhausted because we're doing this, this volleying back and forth in our minds, these weighty decisions that we're faced with on a regular basis um, and it's taking its toll on us. And I would love to, I would love to just be able to preach one sermon and not have to reference it. But, but if a sermon is going to have any application to our day-to-day -day lives, then we have to understand and acknowledge the mess that we are in. But that doesn't mean that we have to focus on that mess. And in fact, this series that, that I'm starting today um, is, is really to kind of distract us from the mess and focus us more on the hope that we have in the midst of that mess. Especially as we are looking ahead to a, a Christmas that that maybe holds out the possibility of being far more messy than it is merry. But nonetheless, we have reason to have hope, and our hope, of course, is found in Christ. And in the weeks we'll see uh, today, we'll see hope uh, in a messed up world, hope for messed up people, uh, hope for messed up plans, and hope when others want to mess us up as well. Now, as I mentioned, the, the section of scripture that this is based on this morning from Matthew 24, 1 to 14, if you've read through that, you may not think of it as being a very appropriate text for Christmas. But remember, we're technically in the season of what the church has historically called Advent. And Advent, uh, contrary to popular belief, is not just like a dry run or a practice for Christmas. Um, Advent, rather, oh, sorry, I just realized my phone is in the way there. So don't mind me just uh, interrupting to, to move the phone from my uh, camera on Facebook. Um, the, the fact of the matter is Advent is, is not just getting ready for Christmas or preparing for Christmas. 
Advent is really the bigger picture of preparation and observing how Jesus has come, how Jesus continues to come to us through his word and sacrament, and yes, how he'll come to us on the last day as well. Morning, Aaron. Um, so on that last day, that's why this Matthew section is very appropriate for us, Matthew 24, the verses that we have um, before us. Um, and, and if you think that your world is kind of turned upside down right now, imagine how it must have been for the disciples to hear Jesus speak the words from Matthew 24 uh, that he addressed to them as they were leaving the temple. In verse 2 of chapter 24 of Matthew, Jesus says, Do you see all these things? He asked. Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. So they were leaving the, the temple in Jerusalem and the disciples were pointing out to Jesus, taking time to observe its magnificence, how impressive this was. And we have to appreciate the temple was really central to life uh, at their time. The temple was the connection, a very visible connection that God's people had with, with God. And it was magnificent. The stones that, that this temple were made up of were as large as, larger than some of our homes or apartments. Um, it was magnificent and it had taken 46 years to build. So you can imagine the shock as Jesus rocked the, the, the disciples' world and told them, oh, by the way, a time is coming when not one of these big, huge boulders is going to be sta standing on top of another. The whole thing is going to simply crumble to pieces. Well, now the disciples misinterpreted Jesus' words there. They were looking for Jesus to rise to some earthly power and they were actually expecting him to come in and establish himself in Jerusalem. So they took Jesus' words to mean uh, a reference to when he would take charge, when he would take over. And so they asked for more details, more information um, to provide when this is going to happen, Jesus. Well, Jesus gave them the details, but the rest of scripture makes it clear to us that what Jesus described in most of chapter 24, in this section anyways, verses 1 to 14, that, that was not a description of what it was going to be like when Jesus would come to rule in Jerusalem. Rather, Jesus was painting a picture of what it would look like in the end times. And this isn't a spoiler alert to anybody that's familiar with scripture. If you've ever read scripture, guess what? We're in the end times. And so as you look at this list of all these things that Jesus mentions in these verses, picking up with verse 4 to the end, you realize something about all of them. Each and every one of them has happened and or continues to happen to this day. So if these are the signs that Jesus was warning about in the end times and they have been happening and, and they continue to happen, then you can draw the correct conclusion that Jesus could return any time. Uh, as he warns about there have been false teachers and there will continue to be false teachers. There have been wars and rumors of wars and threats of war and there continue to be all of those things. We do see famines and earthquakes and natural disasters all over the world. We have seen them. We continue to see them. We do see Christians being martyred all over the world. We do see even Christians falling away and perhaps during this year, during this time, during this experience, maybe at a level that is, has been unseen before. We also see wickedness on the rise and love being reduced. So all of these things that Jesus paints out for us, it's, it's all there. And, and maybe the biggest danger for us 
is that we're so comfortable with these warnings, knowing that we've seen these signs for as long as we have and realizing that they're still continuing today, we can run the risk of, of kind of feeling as if it's like the boy who cried wolf. We've seen the signs, they've been there for a long time and yet nothing happens, nothing, nothing changes. Where is the return of Jesus that was supposed to be imminent once we saw these signs? That's one risk or one danger. The other is that we misinterpret them or we take them in a way that Jesus didn't intend them. And that would be that, that we treat this list in Matthew 24 as kind of a, a honey-do list that Jesus has provided so that we would know what needs to be fixed in this world before he returns. To give kind of an example of how we can misunderstand that, uh, I, I think it's a pretty common application in marriage. Oftentimes when, when I meet with a, a couple that's maybe struggling or, or having some challenges in their marriage, uh, more often than not, it's a communication breakdown. And a wife will say, he never listens, and he'll say, I'm, I'm listening all the time. And, and guess what? They can both be right, but here's the catch. The husband tends to listen for a very specific purpose. He gathers information. He's collecting whatever data he needs. Why? because he's listening so that he can solve the problem that his wife is sharing or, or whatever she is frustrated by. So he's listening, but he's listening with a very specific purpose to be able to fix whatever she's feeling or going through or experiencing. And the challenge then is that oftentimes a wife doesn't really need or want her husband to necessarily fix anything, but rather just to listen. That's the way that, that God has wired her to connect uh, with her husband and so she doesn't need him to fix anything, just wants to connect in that way. So let me state it very clearly. When Jesus gives these end time descriptions in these verses, he is not providing the disciples with a list of things that need to be fixed. As if they could then put their collective heads together and come up with a 10-point plan to fix everything that Jesus said needs addressing. And he didn't record it in his word in the gospel so that you and I could look at the list and say, well, wait a minute, there's a few things that aren't checked off yet. I guess we've got to take care of those things and fix those before Jesus returns again. No, these signs are not failures that need to be fixed. They are rather warnings of which we need to be made aware. And there's a, a reason that we need to heed them as the warnings that they are. It's because we are so naturally um, at risk of being drawn to the stuff in creation more than the creator himself. To be more uh, attracted to or enamored with the stuff of this world. And so if we see this list that Jesus is providing as something that needs to be fixed, then we may very well have the impression that, that if we can just identify all of the problems that are wrong in the world and we look at all of the social injustice and we look at government and politics and we look at uh, starvation and world hunger and natural disasters and energy crisis and the list goes on and on, if we can just fix these things, then maybe, maybe we can make this world livable if not even lovable. And every generation presumes the same. Uh, arrogantly assumes that, that it was better in the old days. And, and if we can just get back to that, if we can just fix that, then everything will be better. That the problem is that as we identify these things that Jesus points out, um, yeah, we know that something is wrong in the world, but we wrongly presume it's our place to fix it. 
And if that's our attitude or mindset, then maybe it's good for us to ask the question, are we too busy trying to work Jesus out of a job? What I mean by that is, do we, do we really think that it is our place to fix everything that is wrong in a broken world? Or that we even can possibly fix everything that is wrong in this broken world? Because if you think it through, if you, if you carry out all of the, the items that I just met, and there's many more of things and issues and problems in the world, if we could somehow fix all of them, would we really need Jesus? I mean, what role would he play if the world was perfect, if everything was fixed, if there were no problems or hardships or adversity. You know, John, John 16 records Jesus saying, in the world you will have trouble, but take heart, once you fix the world, you won't have any trouble anymore. Of course, you know that's not the verse, right? Jesus says, in the world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus has. Jesus doesn't call you and me to fix or overcome the world. And furthermore, if, if we think that that can be achieved, another question I guess we have to ask ourselves is, are we really striving for heaven here on earth? Is it really indicative that our, our hearts are so attached to the stuff of this world that, that when we lament and we talk about everything being wrong and it's not supposed to be that way and it's supposed to be this way, what are we really clamoring after? And when we have that attitude or that impression, what are we saying about the warning that Jesus provides here in Matthew 24? Jesus said it was going to be messed up. Jesus said there were going to be these problems and these hardships and that we were going to experience them. So if we think that this is somehow wrong, that, that this isn't how it should be, then what are we saying about the warnings and the words that Jesus spoke when he said this is exactly how it would be? Again, this world is not some fixer-upper for us to turn around and, and flip and make a profit on. It's not our place to fix the world. Jesus simply asks us, rather than thinking we can fix it, this mess, rather to stand in the middle of it. And where do we stand? Well, Jesus makes that clear in the last part of this section. Verses 13 to 14 of Matthew 24, he says, The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Stop trying to fix it. Stand in the midst of it and stand on Jesus and his promises. And, and here's the, the really neat thing about the warnings that Jesus gave. This was early in Holy Week where he would end up going to Calvary to die. So Jesus paints this gloomy picture of, of these end time scenarios and what it's going to look like in these end times. But then what does he do at the very end of that same week? He shows that he alone provides hope in these times. A foundation on which we can stand, a foundation that was poured by the blood that he shed on the cross and by the confidence we have in his resurrection three days later. That is the hope on which we stand and that Jesus invites us to and encourages us and assures us that if we stand firm on that truth, his death and his resurrection and his perfect life in our place, if we stand firm on that to the end, we will be saved. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. No matter how messy this world gets, Jesus doesn't say fix it. He simply says stand on him 
because when he came into this world the first time, he brought with him the ransom price that needed to be paid to win us back. And that Good Friday, he did just that. And on Easter Sunday, we, we have all the confidence and assurance that the Father accepted that payment in full. So that now, no matter how messy this world ever gets, in Christ, we have and always will have hope. And notice too what else Jesus says there is that that hope is not just for us. Listen to this promise. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. There is not a person on this planet who has not or will not have the opportunity to hear about this hope that we have in Christ. Either it's already happened and the gospel has, has gone to the ends of the earth or it's continuing to go and, and in many places reaching there for a second, a third, or who knows how many times. But take comfort in knowing that there is not going to be any ear on this planet that has not had the opportunity, especially in today's technology, to, that has not had the opportunity to hear about the hope that we have in Christ in this messy world. And as Jesus says, when that happens, and I think many have pointed out, rightly so, that it already has happened. The gospel has gone to the ends of the earth. So we are patiently waiting for Jesus to return as we continue heralding and proclaiming that good news of hope in Christ. But when that does happen and, and God determines that that's it, then the end will come, Jesus said. But this isn't going to be a, a bitter end, dear friends. It's going to be a better end. It's going to be the best end imaginable. As so many things are actually good when the end comes. Maybe not your favorite series or your favorite show, but, but think of as Jesus used the picture of labor pains, the, the mother giving birth to, to know that those pains are going to come to an end and that she's going to hold that child in her arms. Or if you've ever experienced a migraine, when you know that finally that excruciating, that, that pain subsides and there is finally relief. That's the kind of ending that Jesus is talking about. The mess of this world is going to come to an end and it is going to be replaced with a new heaven and a new earth that will never again experience the mess that we're going through right now or at any other time in history. And because we have that confidence as we stand firmly in the hope that we have in Christ, notice what is going to change from now forward is not that we are, are asking the question, won't it be nice when all this is over, but with absolute confidence in the hope that we have in Christ. It'll be a bold statement that we will make. Won't it be nice when all this is over? Indeed it will be.